Welcome to the Impact on the Ground with Tia. I'm the CEO of a tech for good company and passionate about making a difference. This podcast series will dig deeper into what it means to make an impactful change in society, whether you are an individual, charity, social enterprise, company or grant maker. It is all about collaboration and finding the right partners. And we are here to talk what this means in practice. We focus in our conversations on the dynamics between those who have resources to give and those who are working to tackle the challenges in our society on the ground. Today, I have here two guests. I have Joe Oxlade from Brook Charity and Marian Nicholson uh, from Herpes Viruses Association. So, uh, welcome uh, both. Thank you. And uh, what I would uh, kind of like to say as an introductionary, uh, you know, words here, I guess today's theme is uh, to kind of have a discussion around how could companies, corporates, uh, support charities in a little bit more wider range. 1.5% uh, of charities get 70% of the sector income. And we see uh, quite often that very, kind of large, uh, quite obvious causes and, 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 and charities get the corporate support. And uh, we would like to discuss how we could kind of think things in a new way, since company and corporates support is in increasingly important to the charity sector when, when grant makers uh, you know, are not increasing their budgets and also governments have uh, difficulty in raising theirs. So many courses now uh, start to rely on company and corporate support in terms of uh, uh, grants, uh, other money donations, skills-based volunteering, product and service donations. And we would uh, like to now discuss um, how these kind of new courses and a little bit different kind of courses and maybe courses who have a stigma around them could be finding their way to corporate support and, and why should corporates uh, consider these kind of courses to fund or support with. Anyway, uh, so Joe, why don't you start with uh, explaining what does Brook uh, do? Uh, your mission is to equip young people uh, for life's challenges and uh, uh, this is very much aligned with very many company and corporate mission as well. But it, what do you do exactly and what has created difficulties in your courses to maybe collaborate with uh, company partners? Thank you. Um, so uh, Brooke is one of the, or is the UK's leading sexual health charity for young people. So we deliver a range of sexual health services and well-being support to young people across um, the country. We're now 50-something years old um, and we developed into a young people's charity. We deliver statutory services so we are commissioned by local authorities to deliver um, health services in various parts of the country. Um, but more and more, we are doing more around education and well-being support for young people as well, particularly around healthy relationships, particularly around um, issues around online 
it, it, issues that young people face online, online grooming. We do lots of work with um, talking to young people about consent and what is consent and what isn't and, and how that transpires into healthy relationships. Um, lots of work in schools around early intervention and prevention. So talking to young people about their sexual health and their well-being before it becomes an issue. Um, and like I say, delivering clinical services um, alongside that as well in various parts of the country. So you work with uh, uh, certain companies and, and you have partnerships. Uh, we I, do I have partnerships. I mean, sorry, we, we, our, our main source of funding really is through our commissioned work. So we are commissioned, it's through local authorities and it's public health funding. Um, and um, local authorities have a, have a statutory, um, are, are required to provide sexual health services. Um, in the past, those services were, there was funding ring-fenced for young people's, for targeted young people's services run independently from adult services. That is now not the case, so adults, so they're integrating those services. Um, but we do work a lot in partnership outside of those local authorities. So. Um, we do have some corporate partners, um, only a small number. We work lots in partnership with lots of schools, with lots of other charitable organisations. Um, we do work with substance misuse organisations, um, with lots of other young people's um, charities, lots of campaigning and advocacy work as well, talking about young people's rights. Yeah. Okay. Well, in interesting, and we'll get back to... Uh, this uh, company support bit. But yes. If you, Marian, uh, you know, tell about Herpes Viruses Association, uh, Association and uh, what what do you do? Of course, the name tells uh, quite a bit, but please um, tell a little bit about the history and, and the services you provide. Thank you, Tia. The Herpes <laughs> Viruses Association, I thought, was quite a, a long-standing sexual health charity because we were set up in 1985. But hearing about Brooke makes me realize that um, some, some organizations are going a lot longer. The story of herpes is a, a very tricky, double-edged one. You see, before about 1980, having a cold sore anywhere on your body was not regarded as any sort of problem. In fact, genital herpes, or cold sores on the genitals, weren't even recorded as an STI, a sexually transmitted infection, uh, at that time. And then along came the cyclovir. And suddenly people were treating herpes simplex in clinic. And so they started recording the, the, the details of it. And of course, because they hadn't been recording before and now they suddenly were more and more, you, they, they sort of discovered that the statistics were shooting up the graph. Now, when each year the um, uh, government um, produces the list of uh, STIs, the, the, the report, it comes out in July each year about STIs. The fact that herpes was shooting up the scale was a great story for the press. Mm. And it started to be hugely reported and indeed stigmatized because after all you catch it doing sex. And of course, no nice people ever do sex in Britain. Um, 
you know, it, it, it became stigmatized. And it was interesting in those early days, people who'd had it for ages would say things to us like, I've had it for ages and it wasn't a problem to me, but now suddenly I realize that it's something really important and serious and terrible. And I should have been worried all this time. And we would go, no, no, it's just advertising. You don't have to do it. But once the press, once the society has got hold of a stigma, it is incredibly difficult to let it go. Mm. Anyway, what do we do now? Well, we supply advice and information to individuals who are diagnosed and who find us and, and need support uh, to uh, improve the, uh, the, uh, their, their expectation of future life. Um, the way that medics talk about genital herpes doesn't help because they use medical words that to the public mean something else. So for instance, a medic might say that it's a chronic condition. That to a medic means that it is a long-term condition. It doesn't mean that it's serious. However, on the street, if you use the word chronic, it's good or awful, you know, something terrible. Um, we also, of course, try to publicize good information. Um, we've had a few successes, but then again, it's very difficult where something is so stigmatized. A, to find somebody who's prepared to go public, and B, to get it accurately reported in the press. So for instance, the Evening Standard is a wonderful um, article. Um, one of our ladies gave her personal story all about how she'd been concerned at first, but now she's totally sorted, she's married with two children. However, when it came to writing the headline, I'm afraid that the headline writer saw the word herpes in the first paragraph and wrote the headline, how herpes ruined my life. Mm. This was not the story at all. The story was, I'm living perfectly happily with herpes. Now, when it comes to funding, of course, um, medically, and if you ask the Department of Health, they will say herpes is a totally unimportant virus. It doesn't have to be treated. A few people get it badly. Most people who catch it do not know they have it. Only one person in three who catches it gets it badly enough to be diagnosed. So they're going to say, no, we don't need to spend any money on her. Good gracious, so it's not like chlamydia that, that um, makes it difficult to, uh, to conceive or syphilis that kills you and that kind of stuff. Um, and then when it comes to corporate, well, it's sleazy, isn't it? Because only people who have sex catch herpes. And as we've said before, no nice people in Britain ever have sex. Um, and when it comes to asking for um, local volunteers or for corporate um, departments to sponsor something, no one wants to be the person who speaks up at that meeting to say, why not the herpes viruses? Mm. Because of course then everyone will know that person must have herpes. I could go on for a very long time, but Tia, that's probably given you an idea. Okay. Yeah, so <clears throat> I read the WHO statistics and, and also from your website, 70% uh, of the population all across the uh, globe has herpes virus. So uh, it's very common and whether mm -hmm. it's type one or, or two, and uh, nowadays they are also mixed. So whatever used to be uh, the cold sore on your lip might be also in your genitals and so on. So uh, the viruses have kind of mixed and, and so on. So kind of, it's not even sexual transmitted disease if you don't consider kissing sexual 
exactly. activity. Uh, so and 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 so on. But yes, I I totally uh, get the point. Uh, there are in the past, like uh, obviously, it's not uh, this kind of a, like a sexually transmitted disease, but like prostate cancer wasn't didn't used to be kind of a, a cause that would be funded by corporates, but then there was a quite big rebranding and, you know, all these Movember campaigns who are, you know, really uh, raising money for, for the prostate cancer and awareness and kind of saving lives and stuff. Do you think this kind of a rebranding work could kind of help? Uh, and Joe, I, I think you are, in your branding, you're talking about a lot about self-confidence and kind of well-being and health. Is that intentional? Is that like a branding thing that you wouldn't talk about sex in, in uh, that? Uh, uh, no, we will always talk about sex because that's our core, our core work. And a bit like Marion said, you know, uh, I, I think in the, I think sort of a few, several years ago or even even maybe 10 20 years ago you know the thought was if you don't talk to young people about sex they won't have it well hey ho yeah. they're all here because somebody's had you know our parents have had sex now whether they you know when they who knows when they started but young people have always had sex from from the the, the, the moment that that humans started walking the earth so um, not talking about it does not mean it's not going to happen. And actually, the evidence states that that if you if you don't talk, to, then more young people will more likely have display risky behaviour or have risky sex than if you talk to them about what good sex and healthy sex is. Um, so we haven't purposely rebranded to not talk about sex, but we have. We we had we did re we had a rebrand and we've never changed our name we've always been Brooke um, but we did rebrand about four years ago but more really to talk about actually what are the, what is the impact of our work and the you know the impact of young people having healthy relationships and knowing what um, healthy sex is and that sex can be pleasurable. We talk a lot about pleasure because that is a very, um, that is the way of getting young people interested in talking about this subject, actually, rather than the biology of it all. You start talking about how pleasurable it is and how wonderful it can be. Um, that's the hook to get young people engaged. Um, but obviously, with, like all of these things, you know, if you have poor relationships, your well-being, the chances are you've got poor well-being or, or maybe poor mental health issue or, or, or mental health issues or problems. And if you've, if you've, so, so it's all very interlinked and I think it's hard to, I, I don't think you can separate the two. Having good, healthy relationships will lead to improved self-esteem, self-confidence, which will um, you know, it, it's self-perpetuating, and I'm sure it's the same with with um, with, with Marion and the Herpes Associ Virus Association. You know that the, if people understand that it's not something to be ashamed of or stigmatised, the more confident they will be, and the better life outcomes they will have. Definitely. I agree with you. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, could you say just maybe some uh, outcome, uh, Joe, about your work? I mean, 
in your website, you say that you reach 1.4 million young people annually. And if you think about corporate partnerships, that's a quite a big outreach. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Uh, so as a, as a contact and kind of brand, brands to kind of communicate that, hey, we are supporting uh, this organization and the work they do, you know, so it's a good outreach. But what is your out, kind of certain outcomes and, and stuff? I think we, you know, your, our outcomes can be, um, we do a lot of work. So, so all of the, when we're delivering our clinical services, yeah. which are very, um, like I say, it's public health money. So funding. So um, we, we're always walk, working towards the public health outcomes. And there is a public health outcomes framework. And there are a number of outcomes that are associated with good sexual health. And those are, those outcomes are things like uptake of um, long LARC at the contraception, which is long acting reversible contraception. So, so things such as implants um, and coils, that type of thing. Yep. So uptake of contraception, which, you know, in turn will reduce teenage pregnancies, um, so reducing the um, uh, STI rates. Yeah. Um, HIV prevention, those type of things. So there are the harder outcomes, which are very much around those. But then there is all of the well-being stuff. So very much around increased confidence, increased self-esteem. The other area that we are now really focusing on is about um, in empowering young people to take control of their own health care. Yeah. So quite often when they come to Brooke for their sexual health um, out uh, services that will be for a young person the first time they are they are going to a clinic or a clinician um, or a healthcare professional to talk about their their healthcare their own healthcare yeah. without maybe their parents being involved. Yeah. So so ours is very much now around promoting um, self care, which there are there's very clear evidence that you know the more young the more we can encourage self-care from an early age that has outcomes throughout a, a person's li whole life yeah um taking charge of their own their own um you know that their, their, their own health what about marianne uh, uh your impact because that of course we are we should be only talking about the impact it's not just the cause but you know kind of yeah. the change the work generates to our society. What is it with your uh, Herpes Viruses Association? Our services are anonymous because of the condition and the stigma. This means that we can't actually collect individual data. However, um, on the, uh, for the numbers, we get half a million almost visitors to our website every year, and um, we get um, two, three thousand phone calls and another thousand email um, exchanges. And I say exchanges because, of course, one of those email exchanges might be ten emails, you know, one after the other, as the person slowly divulges more about their condition and their worries. So it's it's almost counselling by telephone, counselling by email. Um, the statistics are, that I've given before and that you mentioned here about how incredibly common this virus actually is uh, can be helpful. But I agree with something that Joe said there, that I think the self-confidence or the, the personality of the person 
makes a huge difference when they catch the STI. Over and over, callers will say, I've only had three partners, or I'm 58, and I shouldn't be catching something at my age. People have a totally unrealistic attitude towards sexual health. Mm. Um, it doesn't matter how often we tell people you can get pregnant from your first experience, people still associate um, unfortunate outcomes with too many partners. And this is just so utterly ridiculous. Yes. So anyone who understands about these things knows that. Um, we get a lot of wonderful unsolicited testimonials. People who say, I wish I had found your website six months ago. I've spent six months in hell. Your mm. website has totally changed my attitude towards it. Yeah. Um, we're now running, thanks to Zoom, um, monthly meetings for anybody to come to. And on one occasion, I had to actually close the list at 35 people because you can't really have an effective Zoom se session with so many people. Of course, a lot of those people don't turn up. And equally, when they do turn up, an awful number of uh, people, I mean, nearly half on our last call, chose to turn up with a black screen and not to say anything. That is the level of stigma. Even yep. amongst a group of peers, they refuse to show their faces and say anything. They yep. just want to hear and see other people, normal people, who actually have genital herpes. It is astounding. Yeah. Interesting you say that, Marion, because some of the some of the feedback that we've had from young people over the last year throughout the pandemic. So obviously our lot everyone's lives has changed beyond beyond um imagination in the last year. And we so our we've we've kept our clinical services open throughout the pandemic. Um and we, we had to adapt our clinical services so we couldn't continue to do walk-in services. So our services usually would be just for young people to to drop in and they would have to wait to be seen. Um, but we, we had to move to a sort of telephone, a triage telephone system and appointment system. But one of the feedbacks that we got was because young people were at home making those phone calls where they could be overheard by parents or siblings or carers or other family members created. So again, it's that brief. So for young people, it's their it's it's the worry that they're being overheard by people and and you know that could be for family reasons cultural reasons or just their own their own embarrassment or or them not wanting to share that information but it, it, it all impacts on people's health and well-being of course yeah uh one thing i wanted to uh, just um, uh, say here for our listeners that um uh, we're going to start talking about the companies uh, and corporates' roles uh, in the support that um, in the UK uh, com companies and um, uh, grant makers contribute pretty much like 10 to 12 billion annually uh, to the pot of charities. <laughs> Approximately half of that is from like traditional grant makers who might be uh, some of them founded by a company as well as their mm -hmm. foundation. Or something, but then there there are uh, billions of annually given by by uh, companies, 
and it's not only uh, like the biggest companies who give grants. Yes, we, we might be reading that some big company gave one million or two million or, or whatnot, but uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of SMEs in the country, you know, they fundraise, they staff fundraise, they have smaller grants, they they give money, so they play very, very big role. And every single company who is small or medium-sized should also consider whether they could be doing something in terms of funding, but also then giving skills, which is much more impactful than uh, just like normal volunteering. And also even nowadays, uh, with corona time, you can still volunteer with skills rather than going somewhere to paint the fence. And uh, also product and service donations, are very much appreciated. They save so much money from charities if you don't have to purchase something worth of tens of thousands. And obviously the cost for the company who is contributing wouldn't be tens of thousands because it's only their, you know, their own cost that actually is the cost factor to them. Uh, there are also uh, very positive tax implications to uh, companies for various donations and government website gives very clear idea on that we have also a blog post about this that you know you can start inspecting that what kind of relief tax relief you get from corporate tax so it is actually quite beneficial for companies to give something but so like we were talking that you know um uh, when i said in the beginning I'm, and i'll share my screen uh, there is very simple image here that uh we're talking about nowadays uh, kind of CSR and corporate social responsibility or company social responsibility should be done in, with strategic approach. And obviously that, that is a smart thing to do, kind of think about how the business can benefit from the collaboration and what would be kind of the impact that the company wish to make through the donations. And uh, the very common way of doing this is kind of think about that, okay, if we are like a finance company, maybe we want to support young people to study finance, for example. Uh, so that's kind of quite obvious. Uh, then there are a lot of uh, talk about the locality and uh, most of the companies, even they are big nationwide, or maybe they are not kind of located anywhere really, but if they have any kind of presence, either employees living somewhere or branches or offices, they want to contribute in local, uh, local manner and kind of make their statement in, in local aspects. And uh, there many times companies actually let the employees choose whatever they want to support. Uh, which again makes kind of sense, uh, you know, that uh, employees can then use their volunteering days uh, with the charity who, you know, who they choose and, and what, what course is important for them. And of course, there might be some guidance as well. I, I, I assume that, uh, you know, uh, it's very hard to find charities to support in local level. And this is based on our research, but also uh, others like a secondary research we've been reading throughout the years that it's not that simple that people would have lots of local charities on top of their mind and just thinking oh who, who i should volunteer with uh, this week or next week it's actually quite tricky tricky to do so companies could maybe create some kind of a system around this as well that make, makes it easier for employees to then find a local opportunities and maybe give some guidelines uh, about the impact as well what kind of operators create what type of impact so so people could choose wisely where they spend their time then uh, we come to this societal environmental dilemma corner here which i think would 
very much apply to you. Of course, there is industry alignment, especially Cho, you work with some like a, like a medical companies, don't you? Yeah, we do. We, we've, we've done some partnership. In fact, those are our most successful um, yeah. corporate partners have yeah. been those um, sort of pharmaceutical yes. um, companies, which obviously have, there are some very strict guidelines around pharmace pharmaceuticals supporting yeah. charities, particularly charities that may be using their, their drugs. But yeah. we've done some quite successful work. Um, and our most recent and probably we've, we've had two um, really recent successful partnerships. One is with Caniston, who um, provide um, sort of over-the-counter medication for various yeah. health conditions, but sort of thrush. And so we've done a big project with them around um, intimate health um and um getting uh, or sort of encouraging young people to think more about their their vulvas and their and their 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 um intimate health um and we've also done a really great project with lilettes who provide who are period product company um around in in an education program around periods and puberty for um particularly based um, towards young people, young women and young people who menstruate. So we've had two successful so That's kind of an example of the industry kind of knowledge alignment. Yes. But then, you know, if you think about all these thousands of uh, other companies who work in fashion or whatever, yeah. other kind of, you know, areas, banking or something, uh, you know, I guess, you know, this societal and environmental dilemma, you know, kind of thinking about as a company or corporate that what is this kind of dilemma that touches lots of our clients, for instance. Like in your case, everybody has, uh, is either young people or they, they have parents and, and so on. And so it's kind of like everybody, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, maybe just taking also this kind of a course that then, you know, is societal or maybe it's an, an environmental that you just choose kind of because it has a very vast impact. You know, it's something that maybe not so many support uh, at the moment because then you get a lot of like brand awareness for that as well and, and stuff. What do you say, Marianne, about this kind of a, a approach? Do you think that any company or corporate could be encouraged to support your organization uh, in this societal and environmental dilemma sector? <laughs> well, in the days when there was a patented medication for genital herpes, we got a, a couple of very nice grants from the pharmaceutical company that made that particular medication. I don't think that would be allowed today anyway. <clears throat> but now the medication is all off patent, so there's no chance there. Uh, as far as brand awareness, I think that it would be a fabulous um, uh, uh, joining if a really edgy brand that wanted to display how incredibly up to the moment and risk-taking or exciting they were mm. to do something with us. But it's, it's a risk because um, even young people who are enthusiastically having hookups, or they were before lockdown. <laughs> um, I think on, they still are, Marion. Uh, judging by the statistics, it seems they are, yes. Um, but anyway, you can see what I mean. Um, even they will say only nasty promiscuous people get herpes. I don't want to have anything to do with a company that's associated with nasty promiscuous people. 
I only sleep with one guy each weekend, you know, a new guy each weekend, but it's only one a week. So I'm not a nasty, you know, um, people will always choose to stigmatize people um, who they perceive to be doing something that they would not, or they feel is outside the pale. And so it's tricky, but it would be a delightful experience to, to join up with some really brave brand. I'm well, not sure which brand would wish to do it, but... Well, I think, um, you know, uh, like you said, that it, there is, when, when there is a little bit of a risk or this kind of like a stigma around it and yet, you know, times have changed as well. So, uh, you know, I think there is a great opportunity, but uh, I guess uh, if there were this kind of a campaign, maybe also some kind of brand strategy agency could be uh, giving you support uh, as a pro bono and, and kind of trying to figure out these kind of collaboration models and the messaging and kind of the story around the collaboration that would make it exciting and, and, and kind of uh, positively edgy, I would say. And I love that. Thank you, yeah. Tia. That's a brilliant yeah. so, idea. Uh, maybe we, we, this is an, uh, now a nationwide call out, uh, you know, uh, funders and, uh, you know, brand strategy agencies and marketing agencies, you know, you know, your help is required, <laughs> I would say. And, um, you know, some kind of a, a like innovative collaboration model. And then I guess it's about then just picking up the phone and creating materials and starting to offer uh, this kind of opportunity. Um, it is a, a fact, research fact, that 91% of the companies do CSR activities because of brand building and employee engagement. So it's kind of like we, we don't, we shouldn't just think that, you know, kind of as a corporate level, as a strategic choice, it's just the out of a goodwill. Uh, there is always requirement for some kind of a, like a counter services or something to be gained. And, uh, and I think your both organizations present a great opportunity for many companies. You read so many people, like you yeah. said, 500,000 website visitors, you know, quite, you know, stigmatized subject that you could, you would get publicity if you play, uh, play the game right, but you could get like really cool publicity. Joe, 1.4 million, you know, yeah. who you treat. And this is exactly what many companies need not just like maybe market some clothes or something, but also, you know, there are opportunities to uh, conduct surveys, you know, anonymous surveys, collect some data kind of with your help and, and kind of also get your, you know, kind of expertise to advise them on something that the companies could uh, use in, in their own kind of, kind of a, a service and product, product innovation, you know, uh, so, uh, and I think the, the story kind of supporting something that touches everybody's life, you know, and in your both cases, you know, that's kind of the case. Uh, and, uh, and there are so many other also uh, charities and courses that are exactly the same, but, but struggle to get their, you know, message around to companies and, and find those bravest companies and in most innovative companies to support them. But, uh, I, I think I agree yeah. here. I think I think with um, for both Upbrook and um, uh, Herpes Virus Association, I think 
once you start to unpick what we do and the impact of the work we have people really get on board with it but it's 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 trying to to get people to unpick it i think that's yeah. the that's the, that's the hurdle for for us it's once once you've got someone on board it that it's not a problem convincing them of what we do and the benefits of of the of the work and our reach and everything else but it's that it's that and it's the it's getting people to buy into it in the first place and to understand the, to understand the impact of the work that we we all do and our reach because i think i think you're right our reach um both ours and and hvas are is is incredible yeah um yeah definitely i mean companies pay uh, hundreds of thousands yeah. of pounds annually to treat this many people yeah <laughs> message it so uh you know maybe there there could be some potential collaboration but marian if you now had a wish list a couple of things that you would really need from companies or, or corporates what would it be of course everybody needs money yeah so uh but what else would you need um you talked about skills they might have um because we have only one small office um in in london and because our helpliners all have to have one essential ingredient which is a personal experience of genital abuse that sort of puts that out of the way but when it comes to our website um obviously the sooner people find our website the better therefore help with improving our website whether it's seo uh, improvement or whether it's design improvement yeah uh, that would be really interesting and helpful for us okay joe what what would you need you um, you're so, of course, an organization. How many people do you have working for you? Kind of so we have about um, in to our, our headcount is around about two hundred and fifty. We are we are we are a large we are quite a large organization, and I think that the the trap that we fall in or the trap that we can fall into is the fact that we do receive funding from local authorities to deliver our services, but of course that funding pays pays for that service to be delivered it yes. doesn't provide us with a with a slush fund to then go out and do uh, the sort of more innovative exciting stuff so so yes we're always looking for funding um i think from a from a skills perspective um we we look at we look for we've got trustee vacancies at the yeah. moment yeah we, struggle, we do struggle to fill those um and interesting we are looking for a trustee at the moment with corporate um sort of experience of engaging corporates yes. that is our that is our our sort of we recognize that as a big gap as we don't have the resources to 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 service those relationships as well yes. because they, they, they you know we we recognize that they do take resource you can't you can't just develop a partnership and and let it run its course it needs resources to manage and and, and support um so, so we, we then uh, a trustee with some experience but also maybe extra hands to this person uh, so if you find a trustee from a company there might be other people like team members of the person like as advisors yeah uh, assume that you know it is quite time consuming that yeah. it requires like uh, like a monthly input 
some days and stuff. So that might be even a team effort of which one of them is then the trustee, uh, you know, and, and then other people helping out. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And then I think, I think from a, the sort of the traditional sort of volunteer opportunities is are more tricky for, yes. for group because our services, um, like Marion's, are confidential. Um, so we can't have volunteers going into our clinics and, and supporting yeah. our clinical work because they're confidential services. Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't be able to go into one of our clinics because I'm not, I don't have the, the, um, the training and all the, yeah. the qualifications to do that. Um, you know, we're, we're working, we've got a consultancy work doing some um, pro bono support with us at the moment about developing some marketing, um, uh, some strategic work around our marketing and how we, how we can um, engage more schools to, to within our, our to, to, to support our um, education and professionals training activities. So it's, it's really, it's quite hard to pinpoint where, where yeah. we need support because usually if somebody comes to us would come to us and say well this is my expertise can you use me we can probably yeah quite often do that but but it's not always necessarily an, an obvious gap but de the, the one obvious gap for us at the moment is absolutely trustees we we have trustee vacancies that we are looking to fill so um that would be amazing yeah, we have uh, found uh, this in our own research at what impact that uh, there is a huge gap in this like a collaboration exactly that charities don't know what they could ask because obviously you don't know and you cannot imagine what some individual people would be ready to give or what the company would give in certain level and then the companies don't realize what kind of resources they even have that you would appreciate yeah and uh and and also you know like product and even service packages like they are not that common offer skills-based volunteering yeah but then it's hard to find the matches obviously our platform now will help these transactions and find the partnerships uh so please uh you know post your project and start applying we have already uh, quite a nice uh, selection of companies offering specific stuff and more more to come but there is a gap in the market and i think it really uh, you know requires um you know a little bit inspection but yeah we are we are also here to help but our time is running up so i must say thank you for you both and i hope that uh, listeners you know uh, work in some companies, uh, you know, who might be interested in uh, contacting you. You uh, will be found uh, hopefully on whatimpact.com, but there's also lots of other type of charities and social enterprises on whatimpact.com. Also blog posts and videos and other podcasts. So if you want to kind of get inside on the collaboration and how you should go about it. And we have also intercom channels, so there is easy to just send an email or intercom message and somebody will contact you and can speak with you over the phone in person, whatever organization you represent. But where can people reach you, Marianne? Are you on LinkedIn or as a person? I'm on LinkedIn as a person. Yeah. We also we have a Twitter account, Herpes UK. But the website, herpes.org.uk, and our contact us page there is the easiest thing to tell people about herpes.org.uk
and it was Marian Nicholson uh, uh, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yes, what about Joe? Where can people? Same. I'm also on LinkedIn, um, and uh, I, I think we we have a number of social media. Uh, we we communicate via a number of social media platforms, as you can imagine, when dealing with young people. Um, I think the easiest way is um, www.brook, which is brook.org.uk. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for this uh, conversation and see you soon. And thank you, Tia. Thank you, Marion. Very interesting. Thank you, Tia. Thank you. Lovely to meet you, Marion. Nice to meet you, Joe. Thank you.